0: Take, the official podcast of National Student Pride, the podcast where we go behind the scenes with some amazing queer people doing some incredible things within the community, both inside and out, to better the lives of queer people everywhere. Today I'm here with Adam Barks, the Associate Director of Education, Youth and Sport at Stonewall. So thank you Adam for joining us on the podcast, how are you? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you,
1: thanks for having me. Have you had a good day so far? Yeah, really busy talking to lots and lots of students um, and yeah, been really good. Have you come here before? I haven't, it's my first, first time. It's my first
0: time as well. Yeah,
1: which sounds like that's nothing really bad, but I think we we were here last year, so um, also
0: COVID, like for a few years. Off, yeah, of so we had some
1: colleagues that came last year, and the glowing references of how amazing the day was from last year. I feel like every single person that has volunteered today and worked there today is also sort of the same. So, really nice environment, lots
0: of drag queens and drag kings walking around. which is Always fabulous. I love, I love how you're going around like a like career networking and learning how to update your CV, and then like a few drag queens just like walls past. It's just (laughs) fabulous. So you are here with Stonewall. Yeah. So I think my main question is, how did you initially get involved with Stonewall? So I
1: joined Stonewall about half a year ago. So my background is actually in education. So I was a teacher in an in a city, London school. Okay. Uh, maths teacher. If it's any, mm-hmm. any, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, I was a maths yes, teacher, yes. <laughs> <laughs> detention. Uh, I was a maths teacher for like five years or so, um, and I did a lot of LGBTQ plus work uh, with young people in that setting and across a number of different settings across London. And from there, I was like, I want to do more, and I want to get out, and I wanted to kind of do more around kind of policy work and uh, recognize the need to do that. So I kind of the job came up, and it was like education youth, and I'm like a proper sports vice. And I was like, oh my god, there's a sport, like you can do this and sport at the same time. Um, So, yeah, it kind of was like the perfect role for me, really. um, To get to kind of go engage with like the Premier League and football and uh, sports across the UK and actually globally as well. And then also get to work still with schools and young people across like the UK,
0: England, Wales, and uh, Scotland as well, which is cool. Oh, that's amazing. You mentioned like. You initially started within sort of school setting mm-hmm. was it sort of a very open environment for you to do that or was there like pushback was there hesitancy what was that like initially i think
1: in the uk we've now got legislation that means that teachers and academic staff need to do things for young people so for example in the lgbtq curriculum it should be threaded throughout all the different But the issue is that the implementation of that isn't very consistent nationally. So like, if you go to school in one place versus if you go to school in a different place, you're gonna get a very different kind of environment, but also curriculum. Mm. And I think what's really important is that we ensure that every young person gets to see themselves represented in their curriculum and that they feel kind of safe, seen, and heard in their school environment so there's a trusted adult. So we had some new kind of pieces of uh, legislation that got in literally a few months back in September. Um, and part of that was that we now have a couple of lines of keeping children safe in education, which is like this piece of, I won't bore you with the details, but a piece of legislation. For me. Um, <laughs> A piece of legislation that essentially um, is to safeguard and protect young people, right? So we know that there are LGBTQ plus uh, young people in schools, colleges, uh, universities. And uh, in the school setting, what's really important is teachers and staff need to know how to protect young people so the issue that we have is that a lot of LGBT young people don't feel like they've got a trusted adult and that's kind of the language that legislation uses and because they don't have a trusted adult what that means is that they will not say anything about kind of the homophobia, biphobia, transphobia that they're experiencing and therefore have poorer mental health outcomes. so that was amazing that we've got that in. It means that schools and colleges and universities now need to kind of step up and do more and kind of create environments where they feel like they can talk to someone. Um, what that looks like is obviously open-ended. Like, how do we create inclusive environments? How does that look like in practice? I think a small thing just like a rainbow like pin on like a staff member's like lanyard, that seems so trivial and so kind of what, what does that
0: even do? But actually, that just creates this, like, it's the first step. There's obviously a lot more that we should be doing. Yeah, it's that little sort of twinkle that of, like, queerness just in the school sort of culture that then yeah. has, like, a much wider impact on, like, the sort yeah. of environment that these children
1: are in. Exactly. And I think we've got to also remember that, like, 20 years ago, almost, well, not quite to the date, but 20 years ago, uh, we had a piece of legislation called Section 28, yeah. which is kind of where Stonewall, started and how we started kind of lobbying and doing things in just the UK uh, as an organisation and that's 20 years since then and in the current climate where we're at is that there is a danger that we could be going back to that place so currently there are kind of petitions out uh, to remove lgbt content from curriculums and they're reaching hundreds of thousands of signatures and Everyone always likes to say in the community, like, oh, it's not gonna, like, we won't go back there. Like, we've come twenty years; we're not gonna do that. But it can very much still happen. So it's really important that we're kind of lobbying and we're kind of having these conversations. But also so that we remember that, like, as beautiful as pride is and as fun that it mm-hmm. can be, that actually at yeah, its core, cool. we need to be talking about some real issues and how do we kind of platform that and really kind of fight against those yeah. things. Because how do we get organised like a political exactly. body? like Like organising, like organising is so important. And I think for young people, university students, young people, like it doesn't even need to be adults, right? It should be like teenagers. Teenagers should be reaching out to their MPs and talking about what they care about. We know from the most recent, like I saw at Student Pride, it was really cool, like along the staircase, you've got uh, the census data, right? Which is the first time LGBTQ plus people are like getting counted as part of census
0: data, which is incredible. And we get, yep, I right. think for a lot of people, it seems very like almost just another tick in the box and very fast face value. Like there's not that deeper level there, but I think at its core, it means that we are being seen and yeah. we are down in the history books.
1: Absolutely, like. we're being yeah. counted yeah. and we're being represented. And what's, I think what's really interesting about that data is also looking at it from an age perspective mm-hmm. and how it shows that we had we've come really far. Like it's not that there's now more LGBTQ plus people in younger mm-hmm. generations is that now that they feel more comfortable to express that and talk about that and obviously being counted as those things. And there's still a lot of work to be done in kind of other generations, because there's still that kind of hangover of things like Section 20A, like what they didn't get inclusive education, they didn't have things. I was I was just talking to one of my colleagues downstairs we were saying like, we didn't have that, I, I didn't have the opportunity to come to something like Student Pride. Yeah. Like as a queer LGBT person, I didn't get the opportunity, even at university, to go like, let me go be around LGBT people. Let's celebrate. Let's talk about these things. Like it just wasn't something that like, I even had. So like, if you think now to some of the younger generation, these amazing opportunities that they get, like this, this podcast, this uh, storytelling,
0: like it's really important. And I think what is so interesting for not like an interesting observation, maybe for people my age, are my sort of peers. Um, I'm not sure if you agree. Is that we grow up, we sort of grew up and developed in our almost formative years were sort of th- this middle point between the shadow of Section Twenty Eight and also <coughs> this massive swing of like sort of pro lgbtq plus sort of yeah. representation and just sort of conversation and discourse around it. And that's why I think we are such a we are such a politicized generation overall. Like mm. we we've seen this, the tension swing and we are. I think we can feel it the potential is swinging back the, the, like, the wrong way yeah and i think that's really important it's like we
1: we should be celebrating the successes we've had as a community we should be celebrating these like huge moments and like having these huge success moments that we should be screaming and chatting about of course but it's also remembering that things can still change quite quickly mm-hmm. and i think we've seen that in kind of america with things like the don't say gay kind of bills that have been introduced like things like that that get introduced in places like America and when we then start looking at the UK system, like, we could quite easily follow suit and it's important that we don't kind of rest on the achievements that we've had and just take that for granted, so continuously pushing for further, so with like relationship and sex education Mm -hmm. guidance like ensuring that, yes they should be talking about LGBTQ plus identities, Mm -hmm. but like let's push it further, like it should be threaded throughout everything, like when we talk about Black History Month we should be having, like, black queer disabled representation as part of that. Like, it's not just, like, a one-time assembly or one-time thing at university. A super group PowerPoint.
0: let's just flick through, like... tick box, stuff,
1: right? Like, it shouldn't be that. And I think some education sets are really getting it right and are really doing great work. Um, But then others are kind of probably a bit scared and worried. Like, we still have, like you were saying, with that kind of shadow of Section 28. I think what's really interesting is that there was some research brought out or some kind of survey from the largest teachers union uh, recently. And you look at the percentage of staff that are not kind of uh, comfortable with talking about their identity to students, but also their colleagues. Like, it's a huge number. I think it's like, it's way above 50%. So like, if staff don't feel comfortable, and that's including kind of university, but this is specifically um, school and colleges, sorry. But like, that also kind of then continues up into the university space as well as professors. but if they don't feel comfortable talking about themselves or just being bringing them their true selves to their workplace, how can we expect young people to feel the same? Like we can't.
0: And I think so often like people do like to create a bit of separation with their like, professional life and their like, personal life. But I think with teachers as well, they are giving themselves so much to these kids. Like they are around probably with them more than their parents. so that is having going to have such a massive impact on them and their development. Mm-hmm. so. It's about creating that culture for that them to feel and how yeah, to do that. But, absolutely. Yeah. I think what was really interesting
1: about what you just said was like that idea of like the the having this kind of firm boundary around like personal life and private life. What like and I have this conversation quite often, and I think it's really interesting that we go down the route of like thinking that the the like private versus public like I can't I've lost my words now. It's really interesting because we assume that like it should be private like mm-hmm. as lgbtq plus people we're told it's that is, to is a dirty secret it's a dirty secret right yeah. or like it's it's taken as that that or like it's that kind of internalizing from uh years of kind of having to experience kind of homophobic whatever that may be so that we're told that like who we i can be professional and just be queer, yeah. and that's that's also normal. It's not, like, and it's not to be queer is not anti-professional. Exactly, and that's something that lots of lots of LGBTQ plus people struggle yeah. with. It's like, how do I just be myself, and how can I bring my full self to work? But be taken
0: seriously. Yeah, yourself.
1: exactly. And we still know that people get discriminated against yeah. at school, university, college, workplaces. Like that still happens in the UK and around the world. Um, But it is important that we do that and we are seen, if we're safe to do so, then absolutely we should be, um, kind of raising it it and talking about it, Um, which is great why, like, at Student Pride today, seeing all these amazing employers that are, kind of, talking about, kind of, diversity and inclusion and wanting to be seen as diverse employers. Um, And it's important that, like, all those types of organisations continuously push to do better um, and, kind of, yeah,
0: it's really important that we have these spaces to kind of hold those conversations, which yeah. is great. And you mentioned how, like, um, there's all these amazing, like, sort of corporate businesses now trying, like, making active policy change to create a better culture for queer people. And I know Stonewall has been a massive support system in helping achieve that. But is there sort of any other like sort of projects that we're working on right now that you'd like to sort of highlight? Is there any, is there like a little, have you got like a little diamond project you're very proud of? Diamond project. Yeah. So Actually, I am not a crown jewel. So,
1: so there's a few things that I think are really good to hear from, from like my team specifically. So we um, have a project called the Young Futures Project, which is all about getting young LGBTQ plus people, so from the age of 16 up to, I think it's like 25, uh, back into education, employment or training. So we bought out a piece of research shutout report that showed that LGBTQ plus people face more barriers from a mental health perspective, from kind of an empowerment perspective, they don't feel like they can be themselves like we we're just talking about, and it's essentially a digital platform, so anyone who's on the website, I'm like plugging it, Do it. Uh, do Young it. Futures it's called, uh, so on Young Futures' website there's beautiful illustrations, Like and actually some of the uh, illustrators that have worked on the project were actually here today student private, it was lovely to see, uh, and they illustrate lots of people's journeys. There's kind of video content. There's employers talking about the work they do. So it's a great place just to go and engage and just to flip through. Like there's, there's no right way to use the platform. It's just a great place for you to click in, have a look around, there's support, there's signposting. Like it's a great opportunity for young people to kind of go on and It's learn almost it like on. a
0: digital sort of careers fair. Exactly, we've
1: lots of different things yeah. in it. And then the other project that I think is uh, really great is we have got lots of sports programmes. So we deliver lots to kind of Premier League academies, for example, Um, and we go into kind of football academies and talk about inclusion work and why it's important. But the other big piece of work that we're kind of, we have done and we are doing kind of moving forward is working with university student groups. So for example, getting the student officers to get us to come in and to speak to say the rugby team, the hockey team, the softball team, whatever it may be and do inclusion training to make sure that sport is inclusive on campuses but also that any LGBTQ plus person can take part in sport and feel like they can do that because there's still a lot of work to be done there especially at university campus level for us to make sure that those clubs feel inclusive and I think when I was at university, I'm a sporty fast, I enjoy sport. Did I engage as much in sport as I wanted to? Probably not. Mm-hmm. And that's not anecdotally for me, but we know that that's a national picture, mm-hmm. like for a lot of young people. Um, so the more that we can get them engaged in sport the better, because we know that it helps their mental health and it also gives a sense of community, yeah. which for trans and non-binary people, for example, they need that the most, right? A sense of community and also better at mental mm-hmm. health, like what more could those that community need? Like it's the perfect thing. So it's why it's really important at university level we are having those conversations about inclusion and ensuring that those spaces are really kind of open and they can engage in it in a in a fun way as well and take heart, yeah. right? Fun.
0: So you sort of mentioned that you were really sporty at university and stuff. Mm. Was it a case of you were sporty despite sort of the sort of culture around the sports? Or yeah. was it something you just didn't experience and that that is sort of why that you sort of kept going the sports and like, yeah I think so like
1: I kind of I did loads of sports growing up and then kind of I settled on doing karate and I did like I travelled like all over the place doing karate which sounds like everyone always laughs about now I don't know chop why chop the table like, now sh- do ch- it <laughs> uh, but everyone always like finds it really funny I don't know why um, but it's something that like I don't know like I found that it was a really inclusive space and it kind of had that maybe it's because of the discipline element of it that kind of felt more inclusive um, while well, was also kicking each other in the head, right? Um but I don't know, I think like there's still a lot of work to be done in certain sports. So if we look at kind of the homophobia, biphobia, and transphobia that we experience in the football stands for example, like it's great that we've got our rainbow laces campaign, Just is so another plug, sorry. Uh do rainbow, it, laces. Do it. <laughs> rainbow Laces is uh, our kind of our big kind of campaign. So we've been selling laces today as well. And so that's 10 years old now, and every Premier League kind of club now has like a Rainbow Lakers game where they get the plays, where like the armbands. So I don't know if you've watched the Euros, um, but shout out to the Lionesses because they're amazing. Yeah. Uh, and also great LGBTQ plus representation. Mm. Um, but as part of that, they actually wore one of Stonewall's uh, armbands in the Euros, and... What a great platform to see like incredible like sports people that are thriving with the game. And look at how much that conversation has changed in this country. Like we're now seeing women's football like
0: platformed in a different level than we've ever seen before and yeah. how important that is. Thank you so much, Adam, for taking part in the podcast. It's been great having you on and very informative and just such a really insightful, like amazing conversation. So I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you.